So um, today is hopefully the last day that um, we're going to be looking intensely at the Great Commission and what the Great Commission is, is commissioning us to do, or what we're commissioned to do through the Great Commission, Jesus is commissioning us to do. And, uh, and today we're gonna, we want to focus our attention on the target or the goal of the Great Commission. We need to drill down to the God-assigned target so we don't, we're not tempted to substitute activity for accomplishment. We don't want to be busy doing missions without really being sure we are doing what Jesus commissioned us to do. Now, when we talk, we've been talking about the Great Commission, um, in, we're talking about it in light of missions and missionaries, most of which we in this room are not going to be on the mission field or, or missionaries. But it is important because we need to, as a church, have a strategy for missions and kind of thinking biblically about what if we're going to support missions and missionaries and, and in the future even. Um, we have one we're supporting now, and that's in, in Israel. Then what is it we want that missionary to be doing? And we want them to be doing what the Great Commission really is asking them to do, and that's what we've been talking about. So again, we don't want to be doing missions without being sure we're doing what Jesus commissioned us to do. We, we want to be sure that we're shooting at the right target, so to speak. Um, I believe the Bible is very clear that the true target, the right target, the ultimate target of the Great Commission is the establishment of local churches. Not just winning people to Christ, We've spent a lot of time looking at and establishing the fact that the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled without making, first making, and then maturing disciples. But making disciples is a means to the goal of building local assemblies of disciples who continue the Great Commission themselves. I've said it before, we must win people to Christ by giving them the gospel. We started the, our whole thing with that. But the Great Commission doesn't stop there, it starts there. So, the true target of the Great Commission is churches planted, not just converts won. Now that, again, that pre presumes that there's going to be converts to start a church, to plant a church. While that may seem like split, split, splitting hairs, I believe that the ramifications of it for missions or missionaries are significant. Your goal should determine your strategy or your strategies. If the goal to win as many people to Christ as possible, if that's your goal, then, you're, then that would translate into different strategies than to see local churches planted. If your goal is to... Um, if your goal is to, you know, uh, dig wells then that's going to translate into a different strategy than to plant local churches. Now, some would argue that establishing local churches should translate into winning more people to Christ, but, and, and that may be true in a sense, but I would argue that the ultimate outcome is actually the result 
of the missionary having reached the target point. A growing and reproducing church that's been planted. At that point, at that point, when that happens, then the indigenous or the native church, the church that has just been planted, is no longer the object of the Great Commission ministry. It becomes the participant. That's why that's the goal. Um, ultimately, that's the goal. So to see churches planted as the target of the Great Commission, let's look at the Great Commission itself and then move to um, the New Testament at large. We'll see examples of this. And so first, let's go ahead and turn once again to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We'll start there and then we'll move to some other texts to see this in action. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ahead and somebody read that. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so again, re remember we went through, in the exposition, we learned that when, when we started this on, on the, the Great Commission, we looked at the exposition of the Great Commission, and we, we learned that our, what we are to do is to make disciples. And then we had to define what is a disciple, and how do we do, go about making those disciples. So that was the exposition. We, but we also saw that the words baptizing them and teaching them are characteristics of the disciple-making process or characteristics of making disciples. They indicate that professing believers identify publicly with Jesus Christ and are instructed in the faith that they profess. As we saw in the task of the Great Commission, without being baptized and holding fast to the Apostles' teaching, the genuineness of a person's faith is open to question. It's, it's, it can be suspect. Not always, but it can be. We can see the connection then between these elements of the Great Commission and the local church, baptizing and teaching them um, there's a connection there between making disciples and connecting that to the local church. And so we're going to see that even more. Go ahead and turn to Acts 2. Acts 2. And we're going to look at verses um, 41 to 46. So number one is the content of the Great Commission. Acts 2, 41 to 46. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day, three, that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and <coughs> breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. 
Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and were breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So, in this passage here in, in, Luke, in Acts 2, we see the same threefold pattern as we did in, in Matthew 28. In verse 41, we see that they, we see evangelism, right? They, they received his word. In verse 41, we also see uh, that they were, there was an incorporation into, a, into the body of believers. They said they were baptized and there were added in, in, that, in that section there. There were added about 3,000 souls. So there was an incorporation into some sort of body of believers there. And there was instruction. Look at verse 42 where it says they were continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So right there at the beginning of church history confirms that the commission was more than just evangelism. There was, there was something more. There was a bigger picture there. Those who professed faith in Christ identified with them in baptism and brought themselves under the teaching through his, the, 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 the apostles. We know that the God-ordained means for baptizing and for instruction for those who profess faith in Christ is the local church. You've been taught that here for, you know, that's, that's what you've been taught. Rod did a section on the church. That's that, so you, we know that's the God-ordained means for doing this. So the local churches are needed to fulfill the commission. When we, when we come to salvation through faith in Christ alone, we're brought into union with Christ and we're placed into his body, which is the church. That's the whole, the whole book of, of Ephesians goes through that. The responsibility of baptizing and teaching belong to the local church as the visible expression of the body of Christ or, or the universal church. Number two, the backdrop, backdrop of the Great Commission. Now look back at uh, Matthew 16, 15 to 18. Matthew 16, 15 to 18. Uh, you're going to see Christ's response to Peter here in, the, in this section. Matthew 16, 15 to 18. said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome so Peter here confesses that, that to, he, he, he makes a confession to Jesus that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds and says, I, say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There's a debate about the identity of the rock um, in the New Testament, we see that Christ is the foundation of the church. 
and we see that he's the head of the church. We all know that. So Peter is neither of them, and he's not the first pope. Um, so I, beyond that, we're not going to get into the, into the debate this morning. That's just a rabbit trail that we really don't need to get into. It's for another time. But it is clear in this passage that, that Christ is prophesying about the establishment of the church. Look what he says. He says, I will build my church. So we know that, that, that that's still forward. When he said those words, he's not, he's not yet building his church. It's still in the future. So in light of the fact that it was still future, it's correlation to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, seems pretty clear. The Great Commission is the means by which Christ will build His church. On the basis of His post-resurrection authority, all authority has been given to me, He commissions them to do the work of making disciples. And they will be formed into assemblies where they can be instructed to follow Him by teaching them to observe all that He's commanded them. That's in the Great Commission. So they were to obey the commission just like today we are to obey the commission. But it's Christ who builds the church. We can't forget that. In Romans 15, 18, Paul, in talking about his missionary endeavors, says it is Christ at work through the missionary, of which he was. He says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by, the word, by word and deed. So the work of missions is Christ's work through his people to reach his lost sheep. Christ announced it during his earthly ministry and it was joined to the witness of his, of his disciples. Now, go ahead and look at John 10, 16 real quick. We'll see what Jesus says here in John 10, 16. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. It's clearly a prophecy about the Gentile mission. Jesus anticipates the work of missions prior to his death and resurrection. And he spoke of his pur purpose to call out his sheep. He says, they will hear my voice. So he's going to, his purpose is to call out sheep from the nations. Jesus indicates how he will call out these sheep in his high priestly prayer, um, John 17, 20. And he says, not only for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The combination of these texts shows that Jesus anticipated the work of missions that would be given to the disciples in the Great Commission. He didn't know it at the time, but that's what would be given at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. Matthew 16, 18 then ties that work to the building of the church in general, not, not a building, not a 
not a construction, of course, but, but in the building of the church. Number three, the implement, implementation then of the Great Commission in Acts. Church planting is central to the implementation of the Great Commission. We've, uh, as seen in the book of Acts, we're going to look at some examples here. We've already seen it in Acts 2, just, just a bit ago. The pattern was evangelism, incorporation into assembly of believers, the local church, and then devotion to the apostles' teaching. The church at Jerusalem was established as a growing congregation of those who had believed in Acts 4.32. So when the gospel spread to Antioch, the task of making disciples of all the nations began. So go ahead and turn to Acts 11. 20 to 21, and follow along with me there. Acts 11, 20 to 21. He says, it says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. There's our, there's our great commission language again. They were making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They turned, verse 21, they turned to the Lord and the Lord was with, with them in the task. Again, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. Now look at verses 22 to 26. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off, Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with the resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So the news spread to the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas goes to check things out. He rejoices in the grace of God that had been displayed in the saving of the Gentiles. Then he put a strategy in place to strengthen the work. The strategy was what I want you to see in verses 25 and 26. Paul, uh, I mean Barnabas enlists Paul or Saul at the time. For an entire year they met, it says, with the church and taught considerable numbers. So do you see it? The implementation of the Great Commission at Antioch resulted in a local church carrying out the work of teaching them to, to observe all that Christ commanded. What they were doing here was just following the same pattern. They were following the Great Commission. And we know that Antioch wasn't just an exception, but kind of a normal pattern of obedience in following the Great Commission. Turn to Acts 14, 21 to 23. Acts 14, 21 to 23. And it says, 
after they preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystia and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed and fasted, and fasted, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So again, we see evangelism. Where do you see that? Preached. Right, right. They preached. They preached the gospel and they made many disciples. Now, so we see evangelism there. Edification of the saints, we see that in uh, where they... St- strengthening the souls of the disciples in verse 22. And we know that there was an establishment of the local church there. How do we know that in verse 23? What's that? The appointed elders, right. The appointed elders in every church. If we limit missions to evangelism only, we fail to account adequately for the missionary practice that we see, the pattern that we see in the early church in Acts. The work was discipleship, disciple making. So the development of local assemblies that provide opportunity for worship, for fellowship, for edification, and continued evangelistic outreach is, is vital to the commission itself. Number four. Now let's look at Paul's description of the Great Commission. Paul's efforts, he was the missionary, his efforts were focused on the establishment and strengthening of local churches. We can see this in his church planning efforts at Corinth. It's recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 17. So everybody get there and I'll I'll read it and I want you to follow along. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 17. For when one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will testify the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, 
he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So, in this passage, what we're seeing here is we're seeing that uh, the Corinthians were divided into two different camps that we know of. Verse 4 says they're divided into camps, Paul's camp and Apollos' camp. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. In verse 5, we see that both camps are only servants through whom you believe. Then in verse 6 comes the famous words, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was giving the growth. The point is that God is the focus, not the servant and not the messenger. That's the description Paul gives of his ministry in Corinth. We're used to hearing verse 6 as referring to the process of evangelism. And there's, there's obviously a, a sense of that. But the context and the historical record of Acts makes it very clear that Paul is speaking about church planting. Paul served as the church planter. Apollos, Apollos followed his ministry and cultivated the work that Paul started. Both faithfully served. Both were instrumental but God was the one who caused the church to grow. Evangelism definitely involves sowing and reaping. We saw that a week or two ago in John 4. But 1 Corinthians 3.6 refers to church planting, not the evangelistic process. Paul continues to give further confirmation as he describes his ministry in construction terms in verse 9. He, he refers to the Corinthians as God's field or God's building. Then in verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Paul then laid the foundation. He planted the church. The foundation, though, is Jesus Christ himself, verse 11. Since Paul was the first to bring the gospel to Corinth, his work of preaching Christ laid the foundation for the establishment of the church at Corinth. He, by God's grace, laid the foundation. He planted the church. Apollos, by God's grace, continued to water, build upon Paul's work. So the focus of this passage is on the local church. Um, uh, it's interesting if you've been in churches, around churches where you have had a pastor maybe start the church or instrumental in starting the church, you can kind of see this, this happening when that person leaves. Uh, if he was beloved in the church and he taught the Bible in the church faithfully and he was faithful um, pastor... And then he left the church, and then another person came in. Even if he, if, even if he um, was a good preacher and held to the Bible, um, he's just different. And so, and so you see that how these camps can be can be formed. 
Um, Dave Doran, president of Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, states this about these verses. Because we have a tendency to dislocate this passage from its local church orientation, verses 12 to 15 have often been taken out of context, and thus the primary application of the text has been missed. The discussion of building materials grows out of Paul's comments about having laid the foundation of the church, and the care that is to be exercised is care and building on that foundation. So the focus of this passage is on the local church more than on the individual believer's life. In other words, this passage is a strong warning to those who, as spiritual leaders at Corinth, were building the church there. Paul goes on to demonstrate it further in verses 16 and 17 by calling the body of believers at Corinth the temple of God. And now this is different this is different from the temple imagery used in, in chapter 6, 19. And there it's, defer, it's referring to the body of a believer. Here, Paul uses the second person plural to indicate that the church at Corinth as a whole serves God's temple or God's dwelling place, the church there. He's, if any man destroys the temple of God refers to destroying the church, not the individual believer's body in this context. Again, in context, we see, see that, that destroying the temple of God refers to using inferior building materials. In other words, he's talking about shifting away from that foundation that it was built on, which is Jesus Christ, into something else. Paul's description of his missionary work here in 1 Corinthians 3 is, a, again, a confirmation of the Great Commission's target, ultimate target of church planting. And as Acts confirms, it's not an isolated example, really. Most of the New Testament epistles presuppose the organization and function of the local church. And we see many of Paul's letters are directed to churches, or a church, or churches. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Jesus Christ, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So that's to a church. 2 Corinthians 1-1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Galatians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and 2 Thessalonians 1.1 says exactly the same thing. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's letters also indicate that spiritual leaders were in, in place giving leadership instruction to the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 But we request of you, brethren, that you 
Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. He's saying this specifically to the Thessalonian church. In 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Ephesians 4.11 and 12, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some of evangelists as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So over and over and over, we see that the local church is the centerpiece of God's work doing the, during this new covenant time period called the church. It's his centerpiece. So it's no wonder we see Paul's missionary efforts go well beyond just winning lost people to Christ. He does that. He's, he's focusing attention there, but it goes beyond there. He aimed at more than converts. He aimed at churches planted. Making disciples starts with the gospel, but it didn't stop there. P.T. O'Brien says in Gospel and Missions in the Writing of Paul, commentary, um, Paul not only proclaimed the gospel and under God converted men and women, he also founded churches as a necessary element in his missionary task. Conversion to Christ meant incorporation into him and thus membership within a Christian community. So to Paul, following the Great Commission was more was, was about more than simply converts. It was about churches planted. That was and is the target of the Great Commission. So again, let's, let's just review that once, once again. Number one, missions must aim at the target of planting new churches. That's, that's what we see. That's what we see modeled. The target of the Great Commission is to plant new churches. Anything short of that really falls short of God's ultimate plan for the church. That doesn't mean there's, not, there, there's no exceptional um, circumstances. I mean, you have, you have closed countries where it's illegal to, um, to plant churches. So we have that, that kind of situation. And so it doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions to that. Uh, and there's other, there can be other exceptions as well. But ultimately, the goal is to plant churches. We should do all that we can to follow that biblical model of seeing disciples made and then churches planted so that more disciples can be made. And we tend to want in our American culture of pragmatism and, and kind of this impatience, we, we, we tend to want to rush to win as many people as we can, as fast as we can, um, to the Lord. And, and we come away sometimes with false converts in those, those instances. We tend to want instant success rather than long-term accomplishment of the Great Commission. So missions in general aims at churches planted. The primary mandate for missionaries is also uh, to plant churches. 
based on the New Testament examples, church planting should be the main thing missionaries do. It is what our missionary does here uh, in our church, and that is what did. He went to his people, and he planted a church there. Of course, um, it's, it's the main thing that missionaries do, but of course, that presupposes that you've already reached a group of people um, with the gospel. You can't plant a church without converts. Otherwise, it's a false church. And so church planning is primary. Everything else should be secondary. It doesn't mean it's the only thing missionaries can do. Missionaries do many thing in the, things in the context of the local church, just like we do many things in the context of the local church. Missionaries win people to Christ with the purpose of establishing churches of believers. Missionaries also train pastors so they can assume leadership of planted churches and then go out and plant themselves in the country that they're in. So, and that, that's a big work of missionaries out there right now, and that is setting up training facilities for pastors that are local in the country so that they can get really seminary-type level training and understand how to exposit the scriptures themselves. And then they're localized. They're the people that, that are right there rather than Americans coming in and doing that and trying to, to, to be the pastors of, a, of, a, of the local people. So training pastors so that they can assume the leadership of planted churches or go out and plant churches themselves. Number three, the missionary enterprise, just like the life of any local church, must constantly be evaluated in light of the Bible, not by what we have always done before or what you have always heard it should be done. You know, we've heard that before. The huge challenges and opportunities of fulfilling the Great Commission demand that we be willing to discipline ourselves to think and to act biblically. Now again, most of us sitting here in this room are not going to go to the mission field. Maybe some of you will one day. Um, And these are good things for you to know if you do as a missionary. But we as a church um, have to make sure that we establish a strategy for missions and hold to that stat- strategy that is bib- biblical. If we have a target of just shooting at the target of, of winning converts, then hopefully we're going to win converts, and that's a good thing. But if we have the bigger conver- uh, target beyond that of, of building churches, planting churches, then we, we see the Great Commission continue to just multiply itself over and over and over And that's what we want to shoot for on the target. So those of us here that are sitting here and not able to go to the mission field, we're going to talk about what you can do for missions in light of missions next week. Okay? Because that's going to be very important for you to understand. Yes, sir. Bob, to me, how we need to look at this is... Our mission field 
for our, us as individuals is everywhere we are. It's at our job. It's as we go out. It should be everywhere. Everywhere that we are, take the Lord with you. That's your mission field. It's the person you're standing in line with. It's all those things. It is. It is. In a sense, there's missions done here. Missions in general is, is uh, that's evangelism. Missions in general is uh, thought of as going to the nations. Um, but, uh, but here, it would be, this, it's the same principle. You hope to make disciples. And by the way, this is the best time of the year. The best time of the year. The most easiest time of the year to evangelize, to share the gospel, right? I mean, it's on everybody's mind, Christmas. And so it's, it's, you have opportunities that you don't have other times the, during the year. So if we're praying for those evangelistic opportunities, who is somebody I can talk to about the Lord? Well, it's easy to start a conversation if you really want to. So this is a... I, I didn't mean to get off on that. But anyway, uh, it's the same principle. We hope to share Christ with someone who doesn't know Christ. We hope to plant the seed of the gospel. We hope to follow up with that seed so that we eventually see them come to know Christ. And then we don't let it die there. They need to be plugged into a Bible-teaching local church where they can be baptized and where they can learn all that Christ teaches us through the Scriptures. So it's the same principle, it's just done locally as opposed to, um, to the nations, so to speak. Any other questions? I had hoped to get you out early, and I did it. I succeeded. So you can't say during this whole series that I didn't do it at least once I got you out early. <laughs>